Good morning, Maranatha Grace. Grace and peace to you on this Palm Sunday. It's hard to believe that it's been already a month since we last met. We miss you and we long to be together again. Know that we're praying for you and we're here for you if you need anything, so please do let us know. If you remember last week, we began a sermon series called Living as Christians in Difficult Days. Our hope is that as we walk through the next couple of weeks, as we live in the midst of this pandemic, that we would not waste this time, that we would actually lean in to what the Lord is doing in our lives. Because the reality is that as the world watches and waits, as, as statistics continue to rise, as anxiety and fears continue to rise with them, so do questions about this world. So, so, so to how, how are we to process this together? And, and we ourselves feel it. We're groaning, and the world is groaning, and, and we can feel it in the air, in our conversations, in our homes. We can feel it everywhere. Even just this week, we, 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 we heard of our own church members who are sick with a virus. And many of you are coming face to face with it on a daily basis. And so how do we deal with this groaning, with this, this season, this difficult time? What does God say to us as followers of Jesus about how we ought to live in light of these difficult days? How do we respond to the groanings of the world? We spoke last week that the first thing to do is lament. And I hope you've had time this week to do that. But that's not the only thing we're to do. The the gospel, as as we think about the gospel, it actually leads us out of lament and into hopeful, uh, a hopeful and genuine longing for when all things will be made right. It actually fixes our minds on what God has promised to do. And so one of the things that I think that the Lord is teaching us in this season and and, and wants for us to hear even this Sunday morning, it's to to call us to eagerly wait on Him in in His power. He is inviting us to wait on Him, to long for Him, and to do so not just feigning it, but in his power and according to his sovereign plan. And so the the way that we'll we'll consider about what it means to wait on the Lord and and to do so in his power, uh, we'll look at Paul's letter to to Romans in chapter 8, verses 18 through 30. It's a longer passage. We won't be able to unpack all of it. But I want to highlight just a couple things in our time this morning. And this is actually the passage that we read on the um, uh, that we read during the worship service last week. And it is full. And and what the first thing that I, we see in this passage is that, that that we are to eagerly wait on the Lord. I, I don't know about you. I don't like waiting. But so much of life is about waiting, waiting in traffic, waiting on the phone, waiting in the doctor's office, 
We wait for text messages, you know, especially when those dots are blinking. We, we wait just to see what, what is coming at us. But we also know that it's harder to wait in times of difficulty. Now, waiting while you're in pain, waiting for news from a doctor, waiting when time is of the essence, We know that, that we've actually all had a little bit more time to wait, maybe, in, the, in, this, in, in this season as, as, as things are locked down and shut down. We're waiting for the number of infected cases to stop, and infected people to stop climbing. We're waiting for the season to pass. We're, we're waiting until life can get back on track. We're waiting to gather again. And I think what the Lord is doing in this time is he's, he's teaching us how to wait on him. See, I, I think that he's, he's inviting us not just to wait till this time is over, but, but to learn about how to long for him and his kingdom. He's teaching us how to long for the day where we will see Jesus face to face. And when all the world would be made right. Follow along with me in verses 18 through 25. Paul writes, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we eagerly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Paul says that all creation the people and the earth itself are groaning with an eager longing. The word here for, for this waiting with eager longing, or this eager longing, is to have like an outstretched neck. The world, in other words, is stretching out its neck to, to look past this time to the time that is to come. It is, it is trying to bend around the corner. It is trying to to see over the crowd. It's trying to look for the promised redemption that God had begun in the first coming of Jesus and will be made complete in his second coming. And, and, and we stand in between those two moments. And, and, and so we too feel the groanings, the 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 troubles, the, 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 the difficulties of this season. Some are internal. They're battles with sin. But we also feel them externally. 
even as we do in this moment. And so we long, we long for, for, for the redemption, for Jesus to come. And for Christians, we have a taste, that first fruit, as we have trusted in Christ, we have been saved by Jesus. God has given us the first fruits of what is to come. We know the sweetness of his forgiveness. We know the fullness of his salvation. We know the tenderness of his mercy. We know the steadfastness of his love. But we are still waiting for the day when death will be put away, when sin would be put away. When the devil will be put away, when the groanings and the sufferings and the hardships of this world will be put away. And so we too long for this moment. And, and so this is how the gospel shapes our moment, uh, shapes our understanding and gives us hope in this time. That we wait, groaning inwardly, but we wait for the Lord. And because and we wait with hope. Because we know in whom we've prom in whom we have trusted, we know that as God has 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 given us salvation through His Son, as He has called us by name, that He will be complete the work that He has begun, that He will bring to completion that which He begun at the day of Christ Jesus, and so as we stand in between the already. And the not yet, we we stand and we, we feel the groanings, but those groans are meant to, to cause us to hope in the Lord. They're actually caused to make us stretch out our neck and look to the Lord. As we spoke last week, we're not to deny the suffering and the hardships of the world. We don't act tough or unfazed, but neither are we paralyzed in despair. This passage is, is here to teach us that struggles, struggles are actually an opportunity for us to stretch out our neck and wait on the Lord to bring about his promises. And again, we wait until the day when our strength is renewed and we will not grow weary. We wait for the day when a virus will be no more. We wait for the day when sickness and death will be forever put away. We, we, we wait and long for the day when the earth and all its groanings will give way to eternal blessing. We wait to the day when, when the people of God will proclaim, This is our God. We trusted in Him and He saved us. This is the Lord in whom we trusted. Let us rejoice in the salvation that he brings. As a church, we're named after the prayer. We're named Maranatha, and it means, come, Lord Jesus. This is our prayer that we are uttering in this season. And this current moment is, is actually meant, is a gift from God, and is being used by God to draw us, to cry out to him in eager longing for him, for him to come, for us to see him face to face. Paul writes, for in this hope we were saved. We, we believed, and this is the hope that God has brought us into, that he will bring 
to pass all that he has promised, particularly the day when all groanings will be put to an end. Have you ever stared at something so intently that when, it, when it's really close to your face, it, it has a way of distorting everything else around it, doesn't it? it? It makes everything else blurry. I think this is how we can relate to the suffering in our own strength and perspective. It's hard to see around the difficulty, and as a result, it blurs the bigger picture. Look, Paul is not naive about difficulty or hardship. He experienced more loads of hardship and difficulty. But his eyes had been refocused, and he wants our eyes to be refocused too. See, the gospel helps us to bring the entire landscape of what God is doing into focus, not just what is immediately in front of us. And this is what Paul is doing. He's calling us to have an eternal perspective, not merely an immediate one. He, he can downplay suffering. He, he says in the beginning, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed. It, it, again, it's not that he's dismissing the suffering. It, it's not that it doesn't matter. But he says that the hope that we have in the Lord and the day that is coming will far exceed and overwhelm all trials and struggles if we persevere in faith. He is helping us to understand the fullness of our salvation. And it's not just that we are forgiven of our sins, but that we are saved to a life with God eternal. And, he, and, and that we now live in, the, the, in, in that tension between the already aspects of God's kingdom while we wait for the not yet fully realized aspects of that kingdom, of, his, of this redemption. And it is because of this that I believe that these days are ordained by the Lord and, and they give us an opportunity, actually, not just to slug through, but they, they give us an opportunity to grow in our longing, in our waiting for Him. I think the Lord is, is allowing this season to cause our hearts to grow towards him. Let me ask you, what are you longing for today? How have these last weeks shaped what you're longing for? Is it just, are you longing just to get back to normal? Are you longing for the virus to end its reign of terror? Are you longing just to get out of the house? Are you longing to go out to eat? <laughs> Are you longing to see how the stock market rebounds? Like None of these things are wrong in and of themselves. But if this is what our heart is really longing for, it shows us where our hopes are too. If these are the things that we are waiting that we're stretching our neck to look for, it shows us where our hope lies. It shows us what we're relying upon 
and trusting in for our joy and our peace. It shows us where our eye, our eyes are most fully focused. But as we think about the gospel and the fullness of it, the, the big sweep of it, it actually gives us perspective. It gives us hope, but it also causes us to long all the more for Jesus. So as, as we go into this next week, I, I encourage you to, to evaluate your life. How What are you waiting for? And maybe, maybe what you need to know this morning is, how can I begin to grow my heart toward the Lord in this hopeful longing? One, I think it looks like we pray. Take time and pray. It also means that we ought to look into God's Word. We can't grow in our longing and affection for God we don't know. He invites us to know Him. And we have extra time on our hand. I know even in the midst of like being home, a lot of our schedules have, have, have actually gotten busier in, in some degree. But there is still time. There is There are things that we can cut out that would teach our hearts to long for the Lord. Maybe it's a little less news, and that would probably be good for those that are overly anxious. Maybe it's a little less Tiger King or Disney Plus. Maybe it's, 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 it's less play, or, or just you know, video games or, or, or social media. But instead that we would lean in toward the Lord that we would learn to eagerly wait on him. And here's the good news, or even more good news, is that as we wait, we don't wait alone. Look back at the passage in verse 26. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weaknesses, for we, don't, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words, and as he searches hearts, and, and, and he, excuse me, and he who searches hearts knows what is in the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. God in his full salvation gives us himself, his very spirit to walk with us through the struggles and the suffering. Whether the struggle again is internal or external, the Holy Spirit is our divine helper. This is one reason why we can take comfort even in the midst of hardship, that God has placed His Spirit in the heart of His children for a reason. It's to remind us of who we are when we forget. And it is to help us as we walk along, as we, as we live in between the already and the not. This is why Jesus calls the Spirit the Helper. What is it that He helps us with? 
one, he helps us when we're weak. Particularly, he helps us in our prayer. These verses, verses 27 and 28, as the Spirit helps us, uh, I'm sorry, 26 and 27, as the Spirit helps us in prayer, um, and, and he, he speaks on our behalf. I don't think that this is merely refer, I don't think this is referring to tongues, but instead that the, the Holy Spirit prays for us when we face struggles and suffering and hardship to such a degree that we don't even know where to begin. It's when we're weak in our own strength. The Holy Spirit is there for us and is active in us. And and he's actively guiding us. He's directing our hearts and pleading for us before the Father to bring about his will in our lives. Do you see that the Holy Spirit intercedes for us? He goes to the Father and pleads for us. We can take comfort, even in the hardship, even as we longing, wait with longing, that we don't wait alone. God has given us His Spirit, that, that first taste of what is to come. The fullness of Himself dwells within the believer. And He prays for us. I know that times when I've been overwhelmed and I simply don't know what to pray for or even how to pray. And all I can do is sit, sometimes cry, or sometimes just sit there. I take comfort in the fact that the Holy Spirit knows deep down the longings of my heart. But more importantly, He knows the heart of God. And He directs my heart according to that will, to to the perfect will of the Father. And, and, and he prays for us according to God's will in a way that actually comforts us. And so we can have confidence even as we wait. We can have comfort even as we wait because of the Holy Spirit and his work in our hearts. But Paul goes on that we can also take comfort in this waiting. Because we know that God's at work. He says in verse 28, And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. This passage has been a tremendous encouragement to so many Christians throughout the ages. And it, and it, is, and it is here for us today, too. This passage doesn't suggest that all things work to good for everyone. This isn't, this is not Bob Marley's, you know, every little thing's going to be all right type of verse. It's, it's a specific promise to a specific people. It, it is a promise to those whom God has called and made his children, who have, by grace, through faith, trusted in Christ. In this verse, Douglas Moo, a New Testament scholar, comforts us with these words. He says, what this verse means is that nothing can touch us. Nothing can touch us, um, excuse me, nothing that can touch us lies outside the scope of 
our Father's providential care. Let me start again. Nothing that can touch us lies outside the scope of the Father's providential care. Here indeed is the cause for joy and a rock-solid foundation for hope. Look, nothing that can touch us lies outside God's purview of, of his sovereign design. And, and this is not a call to be reckless or cavalier. This doesn't mean that God is working everything out for good, even the way that we understand it to be. And, and Mu helps us further. He says, we must, however, define the good that God is working to produce for us in his terms and not in ours. God knows that our greatest good is to know him and to enjoy his presence forever. He may then, in pursuit of this final good, allow difficulties such as poverty, grief, and ill health to afflict us. Our joy will not come from knowing that we will never face such difficulties, for we certainly will. But that whatever the difficulty, our loving Father is at work to make us stronger Christians. I want to ask you, what good might God be working in your life? What is he allowing to be stripped away so that you would more fully enjoy him? What is he calling you to let drop out of your hand that you may more fully grab hold of him? This is the point. This is what God is allowing, and, and the Holy Spirit is guiding us in that. And, and we can trust him because he knows how to, he is working all things for good. And, and we can trust him, and we can have confidence in him, and we can wait in confidence because we know in whom we have believed, the one who knows the, the end from the beginning. Paul writes, For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. The golden strand of God's salvation highlights the work that Paul has spent nearly eight chapters detailing. This is the plan that God is at work doing. This is the good that, that he has brought us into. This is the work that the Spirit is bringing about in us, that we would be made into the image of Jesus. We are longing for the final moment to come to pass in our lives. We're longing for the day when in radiant glory we will see our Lord face to face, unveiled and partakers in this glory. That the way that Jesus was glorified, we will we will share in that glory with Him. And while we wait, Paul writes that, that, that this this reality, this this being glorified with Christ, is so certain that he writes about this in the past tense. And those whom he justified, that is declared righteous in Christ, he also glorified. 
It is already a reality, but has not yet already come to pass. And so we wait for this day, but we wait knowing that God will bring it to pass. And he is working all things for good according to his purpose. At the heart of this passage is a call to let the gospel shape our longings. On difficult days, it's so easy to lose focus, to become so overwhelmed that we lose hope. This passage gives hope. And in so doing, it invites us to evaluate our own lives. It's a call to, to ask. It's a mirror that is being held up to say, what are you hoping in today? And for some, this means that we ought to repent. To look at what we hold most dearly and what we long for, where we find our joy and our, and our hope. And if we're, we need to repent when, if it's not in Jesus and in Jesus alone, in, in the redemption that we're longing for. Again, there are things that we can hope for in the media, but, but is our heart longing for that day? I would invite you this week to take time to consider what God is doing in the world around us and how he's calling us to wait on him, but to wait on him in hope and in, and in the comfort of his mighty spirit that is with us and at work in our lives. He's calling us to stretch out our neck, to desire Christ and his kingdom above all else. He's calling us to press in and rest in the help of his Holy Spirit as we walk in this season of struggling. But it's also a season that we know that God is still at work. And he's at work to bring about his perfect plan. His perfect, sovereign plan. So, brother and sister, let us long for the kingdom to come in all its fullness. And as we do, let us live this day in light of that day. We love you. May the Lord bless you.